How cool is it to have Mr. Pad? He was one of my teachers leading worship. Like, I legitimately think he can give Ty Hondras a run for the coolest old guy award. <laughs> no, that was really cool. Um, yeah, how good is it just to have the pads come out and help out launch this service? Also, cool thing in worship, I didn't really focus too much in worship because I looked up and Tara has a baby on her back and the baby had its arms lifted. I don't know if it was worshipping. But I sat there and every time I got my phone out, it put its hands down. Then I saw one hand go up and I got my phone out and I missed it. But it was really cool. It's on my list of things to get on camera. I'll be... Yeah, if you see me sing behind Tara next week, just that's what I'm doing. Um, so going into this message... This is probably the most nervous I've ever been to preach. It's a real tough message. I, I really struggle with this. I'm going to put that as a starter. And I don't know all the answers. I'm just preaching what basically I've been hearing from God recently. And I always like to start with a really engaging story. Tash, if you want to get the slide ready. I look for something kind of maybe funny or just intense. I don't know. And I took Tara's advice this morning of just preaching out the Bible and just found... A really good story to start with. We've got it up on screen. Read along with me. Unlock your Bibles if you want. I'm reading from 2 Kings 6, 24 to 30. It's on the screens, like I said, though. Sometimes later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was great famine in the city. So basically, an enemy of Israel is attacking Israel, the enemy king, has all these people attacking, and there's famine because of all the war that's going on. As a result, there was a great famine in the siege. The siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces. So, a donkey's head sold for 80 pieces of silver. I tried to look up currency. It's really hard to find out like what that roughly is, but what I do know is that a donkey's head isn't worth a lot. Particularly to those people, like, if we were really desperate, maybe we could put the, like, if we had absolutely nothing, maybe we could steal it up. For the Jewish people, donkey was an unclean meat. They couldn't eat it, and it was still going for 80 pieces of silver. I also got really excited when I read a couple of dove's dung. I was like, dove's poo? From what I understand, it's not actually dove's poo. I think it's some sort of seed. Um... Not as cool, I was really hoping it would be Dove's poo, but... (laughs) It gets better. (laughs) Not really, it gets... I don't know. If it gets better, you'll see. One day as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him, Please help me, my lord, the king. He answered, If the lord doesn't help you, what can I do? I have neither food from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. But then the king asked, What is the matter? She replied, This woman said to me, Come on, come on. Let's eat your son today, then we will eat my son tomorrow. So he cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to her, kill your son so we can eat him, but she has hidden her son. Did someone say the Bible was boring? (laughs) Fun? (laughs) When the king heard this, this is the weirdest response, he tore his clothes in despair, and as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing burlap under his robe next to his skin. May God strike me and even kill me if I don't separate Elijah's head from his shoulders this very day. 
So Elisha was basically a prophet. I researched into what Elisha did. There's not actually a lot he did. He maybe the king, like in a previous war, he prayed for a miracle and these dudes turned blind and it was hectic um, and Israel won. Maybe he was angry at him because he didn't do that again. Maybe he's angry at him because he didn't kill a whole bunch of people because he said let them go, but they weren't the people attacking. Basically, he's going, just scapegoating, just going, I'm going to blame that guy. And I'm going, dude, you're the king. You could do so much. Like, you could end the war. You're the, the most powerful person in this whole situation for Israel. Yet you're blaming a dude. I don't get it. Okay, we'll get back to that later. Outreach. I got told to talk about outreach. I really love outreach. Like, that's the reason I started working at this church. That's the reason I am involved in ministry. I love telling people about Jesus. I love telling people about what Jesus can do for them. I love seeing people get saved, come to know who Jesus is. Sometimes I go and do stupid things to try to get people just to come to church. One time, we've actually got a video, Tash, if you want to just prepare it, of Tara rapping, because I said Tara would rap. I don't actually have the video. <laughs> if you want to see the video, come see me. There's a vi- I, I said, if 100 people come to youth, Tara will rap. Eventually, 100 people came, Tara rapped. I said, if 50 people come to this camp, we were up to 48, luckily, a few of them, maybe luckily, not really, a few of them bowed. I said, I'll dye my hair blonde. The office still stands for our next conference thing. And with all these people rapping and dyeing their hair blonde, I look at the t- t- statistics, not of this, this census, of the last census, because this one was, we know what happened. And I see Christianity just declining and declining. And then I go to the church life surveys, and I see that 7% of Australians go to church. I go, what are we doing wrong in outreach? And then I keep looking. And I see that the fastest growing group is the Buddhists. They're growing by 76%. And I've just gone, what is happening? How is this happening? And I've heard the response, oh, they're, what did I write down? They want the religious experience with no accountability. And that's the one I kind of went with for a little while and Again, I don't know why Buddhism is growing and I'm going to really generalise a lot in this message because I've spoken to about four Buddhists in my life. But I read, two, met, I read two. I met two recently and they were quite young. So I told them about my faith. I asked, hey, why are you guys Buddhists? They're like, oh, we became Buddhists because they're really, really passionate about justice and changing the world. And I go... Oh, my Christian, we're really into that as well. And their response was, really? And I go, yeah. They go, and again, this is what they said to me. Aren't you guys only interested in stopping same-sex marriage? And I've gone, no. (laughs) Like, maybe that's an aspect of it. But that's not what our faith is centered around. That's not, but then I looked in deeper and I looked at, like, we had a Christian political party come and they had a pamphlet, like an A4 pamphlet, six pages long, or eight pages long, six of them were about why well, we should stop same-sex marriage and they're calling themselves a Christian party. I've gone, there's arguably maybe 10 verses in the Bible that you could use. They've written six pages. But I've just gone, wow, this is what we're known for. And they said, And then I looked even deeper into, like, I asked them, what do you guys think 
of Christians, and they said, well, from what we've seen in the media, which is always true, kidding, um, what, from what we see on, in the political parties sometimes, or from what we see around, is that you guys, I'm just listing off a few of the things, don't really care about refugees, which I'm like, well, I really do. I know lots of Christians who really do. You don't, you don't believe in climate change. You believe that climate change is wrong. And in saying that, you really, we don't think you really care about the environment. I'm like, fair point. Um, yeah, and just a whole bunch of stuff like that. I've lost my notes somewhere there. And I've just gone, man, I don't know if this is a correct portrayal of who we are, but this is what I seem to hear from lots of people when I tell them I'm a Christian. What was interesting is they got talking, and they got talking about poverty and what they, they're really passionate about. And I've gone, well, yeah, I'm really passionate about poverty as well. Like, not passionate about poverty, but passionate about stopping poverty. I think that's a mandate of the church. And they, they showed me a bunch of videos. There's a really good video you guys should all watch, The Story of Stuff. It's about 20 minutes. It explains it. But basically their point was saying that we, as the Western world, create systems that do create poverty, that create people to live poorly. And basically the one example I can give you is that if every single person who lived on this planet, the seven billion odd people, had the same wardrobe as the average Western, uh, we would need four planets to grow all the cotton, to grow all the wool, to grow whatever else. So, if we, and their point was, if we want to end poverty, end the poor, we need to learn how to reduce. At the same time, I saw an Operation Christmas Child ad. I really love Operation Christmas Child, what they do. I'm stoked that the church is on board with it. But at the same time, I'm sitting there really convicted in that there are kids in this world who have never received a present. And I, like, I love it that they take presents, they share God's love, like what they do. But I'm like, shouldn't we feel something more? Like, shouldn't we be saying something like, what? There's kids on this earth who don't receive Christmas presents or don't receive presents. They've never see, received a present before. And all this time I was like, how is it that Buddhists are telling me this? Surely Jesus, surely God has a response to this. So I went into the Bible, and I turned to a book that not many people like, that I don't, not, didn't really used to like until Tara told me, it's the book of Leviticus, and Tara told me, if you look at the laws and you do studies around the Lord, laws, you start to understand God's heart, and sometimes it takes a long time to understand the culture that they're in and why God said it, but you start to notice that the reason why God said this is because of this, and you go, wow, I really encourage you guys, if you are interested in studying the word, Get into Leviticus, like, it's become one of my favourite books in the Bible. Leviticus 25, 35, I should have got you to get this one up as well, Tash, but anyway. It talks about the nation of Israel and what you, they should do for someone who's poor. If one of your fellow Israel, start again. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would, do a, would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. Remember, do not charge interest on money you lend him or make a profit on the food you sell him. So I like to look at the book of Leviticus because I do really enjoy going into there and, I, man, I can get 
so many messages drawn out of the laws. I like to go, what would happen if Jesus, or if God was writing this book, or if Jesus came back and he was talking to me today in Australia, what would the book of Leviticus, the law, look like for us? So, what we now need to understand is, we are rich. If you're sitting in this room, you're rich. I'm rich, and I'm a youth pastor. I know it sounds like an oxymoron. James is a student. James is rich. There's a thing, go on it later, or go on it now, just pretend you're opening up the Bible app, globalrichlist.com. It'll tell you what percent of the world's income you're in. Sam Max preached about it before. James being a student just from the money he gets from Centrelink, he's in the top 18%, top 20% of the world. Me being a youth pastor, part-time working at church, I'm in the top 4%. If you earn... $50,000 $50,000 a year, which is a pretty reasonable median, medium, medium wage, average wage, you're in the top 0.99%. You've made it into the top 1%. So you've got to understand that we are the rich people. And I go, what would Jesus say to us when I look at statistics in the world? What would Jesus say to me as the top 4% when there are 21,000 people dying of starvation each day? What would Jesus say to me when there are 27 to 30 million people in slavery in the world today? What would he say? What would Jesus say to me, top 4%, when he finds out that 1.3 billion live on less than $1.25 a day in the world? Like these are big numbers. 21,000 people dying a day. That's like a stadium, like the whacker full of people dying of starvation. 27 million people in slavery. That's more than the the whole nation of Australia. What would Jesus say to me? What would God say to me when I decide to buy a shirt I don't need and want it super cheap, which makes people work in slavery? Here's something. Do not charge interest or make a profit at their expense. Talking about a poor person. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as a relative. Yeah, I wonder what Jesus would say to all these things. Even that there's homeless people in our nation when we've got empty buildings, empty rooms. So back to the original story. We're in a position of power. We live in Australia. And what are we going to do? Are we going to be like that king of Israel. We're going to blame someone else. We're going to point to Canberra. We're going to point to America. We're going to point to World Vision or Operation Christmas Child. Or we're going to go, what can I do right now? Like I said at the start, I don't know the answer. I'm just saying what, what God's putting on my heart. I'll honestly say, if you put me in charge of this, I will create more problems than I will solve. I know that. I'm humble enough to say that. But at the same time, I'm also not stupid enough to say, because of that, I'm not going to do anything. We need to do something. So when I heard all this and I was going, what should I do? Do I take my youth pastor's wage and just give away all my money? And then when Beck and Dylan come and ask me for my rent, I go, sorry. Do I go and move to a third? What do I do? And I went and talked to my Bible college lecturer, John Bergman, who's quite a passionate dude. He, he knows quite a lot of stuff like this. And he goes, 
Wally, there's nothing you can do. There's a whole bunch of things you can do, but it's not going to make a difference. And he says, but what's exciting is that, and why you should continue to do these things, is because imagine if not only one person was doing it. Imagine if the church could get together, the global body, the church. One person doing something, not going to make a difference. 10,000 people doing something, difference. Again, I'm coming into the end of my message, and I don't want to leave you guys absolutely hopeless. <laughs> I've just been told that there's 27 million slaves in the world. What can I do? Here's a simple one. Consume less. Again, we need four worlds to create the clothing. If we want to help out the poor, we might have to stop buying so much stuff. Do you need that stuff? You can go out. Second point, shop ethically. Again, the shoes I wear at the moment, I've had them for a while, probably had some people in slavery. Maybe the pants, the shirt. Tara's a really good resource for this. She's gone into it recently. She's friends with a guy called Jared McKenna who's really into it all. There's pamphlets, what's it called? Um, Ethical Shopping Guide Australia. It rates it and you go, okay, that store gives that place an F minus. I better not shop there. Oh, that one has an A. I'm going to go there, even B plus. It's starting to make a difference. Again, nothing you can do will change, but something that we all do, we can make a change together. Take care of the environment. <laughs> Look out. He just said that in the church. <laughs> Again, really hot debated topic. I don't want to debate you. I probably do stand on the side that climate change is real. Maybe they take it too far. Maybe they do turn it into a religion, possibly. I don't really want to argue with 98% of scientists. At the end of the day, climate change isn't the only problem. There's a massive problem with pollution, excess use, all this stuff. Again, watch the story of stuff. You'll see how this, our living in excess causes the third world to exist, to live in poverty. I was talking to my friend Walter, and he, he, he has quite different views to me on this type of stuff. And he goes, I will give you that, Wally. When my grandma was young, she used to wash her plastic bags and reuse them. Nowadays, you throw it out and get another one. Again, that's another point, reuse. Another great thing you can do is support legitimate projects. And again, you're best to talk to someone, talk to Tara. I know she's really open to helping you guys through this. Sometimes charities, like, let's set up an orphanage, let's put these kids in here to attract money from tourists. Don't be donating to them, but donate to legitimate grassroots community organisations. I know Tara knows a whole bunch of them. Again, shop ethically, I put it on twice. Look at the coffee you're buying. Who got the coffee for you? Is it ethically sourced? What else? I had another point there. I forget. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for the orphans and the widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Can you imagine a church that get together 
And again, I was speaking to these Buddhists, and not only Buddhists get this, but people in the shop, I always like to stop and talk to their charity people, and I often try and promote the church while they're telling me about promoting their charity. Sometimes it leads to half-an-hour conversations. I don't recommend it always, but again, they left knowing what the church is doing. But I go, imagine a world where I could rock up into a conversation and the first question is, hey, I'm a Christian. Oh, what do you think of same-sex marriage? Oh, do you guys swear? Oh, do you guys drink? Oh, do you guys think this, think that? Imagine it could be, Christians, I know you guys. You guys are those ones who are helping out the poor. You guys are those ones who are helping out the needy. Again, can I have the band jump up? Cheers. <laughs> Look for opportunities. I've spoken a lot about the poor. I've spoken a lot about social justice. That there's opportunities here today. Like, you've got a spare afternoon. Have a chat to Leanne. There's an all-to-one kid who I'm sure could use some mentoring, maybe a lift to an appointment somewhere. I was so encouraged. That a picture of the church where we're helping people. I was so encouraged the other day. I went and helped out a couple of the ex-all-to-one kids who were moving house, moved house. And their ba- the, 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 one of the girls, she's a single mum, just 18 years old, and her baby was, had a rash so she got kicked out of daycare, and she goes, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I called super mum, Beck. Beck went and picked her up, took care of that baby all day. That's what the church needs to do. We need to take care of the vulnerable. We need to take care of the lost. And you watch, people won't be able to resist us then. When we talk about outreach, I think outreach isn't... Out- outreach is like putting on a massive cafe service. That was awesome. My auntie came along. She's actually the third, th- three of the four Buddhists I've talked about now. <laughs> She came along and absolutely loved it. I, it created a door where I could talk about. She went and looked at the Ultra One classroom, went and looked at all that. She, it's great. But that's not outreach only. Outreach is taking care of poor people. Anyway, as the band just begins to play, I'm just going to pray. Then we'll get, I think we'll go into a worship song. Is that cool? And then from there, yeah, I think we'll enjoy our night. If you guys all want to stand with me. God. We thank you that you are God. And God, we know we live in a messed up world full of sin, full of oppression, full of just not good stuff. God, we pray that we can do something. We thank you that you put us in a position where we're in the top 5, 10, 20%, 1% where we can influence people, we can influence the world. God, I pray over the church, not only this church, but every church, that we'll start to realise our mandate, we'll start to reach out to the widow, to the orphan, to the oppressed, to the poor. I pray over every single person in this room, God, that you'll start to speak to them, they'll be able to start to see opportunities where they can maybe go the a little bit more expensive option, but can help someone. Maybe donate to a charity that helps people out. God, I pray over Christianity that we can change the world like you would want us to. And then I pray, amen.